disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. So the world is clearly crazy right now, and uh, who do we turn to when the world is crazy? A lot of times people turn to God. Um, I wanted to bring in uh, a pastor friend of mine who I have an enormous amount of respect for. When we lived in Louisville, uh, we attended Southeast Christian Church, and Pastor Bob Russell was the guy that was, I guess, if you want to look at it, well, he'll tell you that God is responsible, but he's the person that God put in place to help facilitate the growth of one of America's great churches uh, Southeast Christian. And uh, to this day, um, under, um, you know, so many pastors over over time, they continue to be a church that pursues God's will, preaches the gospel. And uh, I just love them to death. And um, special friendship as well with Dave Stone and, you know, just great folks that really have a heart for ministry. And that's one of the things I always appreciated. You know, mega churches have a tendency sometimes to get full of themselves. Um, one of the things that I think has kept Southeast Christian Church grounded is that they have always been outwardly focused, and that is the mission of the church, to be outwardly focused. But anyway, with crazy times going on right now, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of, you know, talk to a man of God, so to speak, and uh, Pastor Bob Russell joining us on today's episode of The Disruption Zone. First, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. What a great business, local business. If you are looking to upgrade your kitchen to that kitchen of your dreams, then I highly, highly recommend that you check out Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. You can go to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops to find out more, but just give them a call. Michelle, George, Kelly, they've got three designers on staff at 502-930-3304. If you are, you need somebody to come in and just do the whole job, turnkey kitchen remodel as they call it, wipe out a wall, rearrange everything, just do the whole thing, they got you. If you're a contractor and you just need cabinets that are in stock, that are affordable, that are high quality, they got you. If you're a do-it-yourselfer and you need the same thing, they got you. You know, they could even, there's some uh, laminate countertops that they can even cut the same day. Uh, if you're looking for granite, a stone of any type, you know, quartz, which is what we used with them, uh, they've got all of that. High-level designs to something really fast. Whatever you're looking for, they've got that for you. And again, they are local. So if you're right here in Oldham County, Louisville, or Southern Indiana, give them a call. Or stop by the showroom and visit with George Kelly or Michelle. 6200 Hit Lane, Louisville, Kentucky. 6200 Hit Lane, Louisville, Kentucky. Big appreciation to them for uh, being a part of this podcast. And now, our conversation with Pastor Bob Russell. So how are things in uh, Pastor Bob Russell's world? Well, actually, I'm, I'm having a good time. I've been, uh, I do these mentoring retreats for preachers. I limit them to eight guys so there can be interaction, and I do eight or nine of those a year, and I just completed one last week, and they're always real gratifying for me. So I've done 100, I think 104 retreats. Wow. And uh, if you'd have told me when I retired I would do 104 retreats, and they would never get old for me. I, I would have never believed that, but it's kind of been a sweet spot for me, and I'm able to encourage some young preachers. What um, What do you think is the biggest challenge fa facing young preachers today? Oh, there's just tremendous discouragement right now. It's just uh, an epidemic almost because uh, I don't know that preachers have ever, at least in my generation, faced tougher times Uh shutting down the church and trying to go online when you're not equipped and not gifted to do that. And then all the rancor that exists politically in the world filters over into the church and you've got a group wanting you to take a strong stand, another group wanting you not to say anything about politics. And then churches are fighting over whether they should force people to wear masks or whether they should still meet outside or meet at all. And it's just guys are that's not what they signed up for when they went into ministry. Right. So we're, we're, we're trying to encourage them to, to hang in there through these tough times. I think there's also another challenge facing not just pastors, but Christians in general. And see how I can explain this, but I'd love to get your thoughts on it. So 
we live in a very technologically advanced world. Um, science has made leaps and bounds. Science has also become very political. And so sometimes it's hard to separate the political science from the actual science. But that being said, um, there's a lot of, I think sometimes Christians have a difficulty answering questions about the existence of God that in a way that makes sense to people who think more scientifically. And in the technological world, I think there's a very strong effort to try to tear down the idea of religion as being antiquated, um, the idea of a relationship with a deity, the idea that a deity even could have created this universe. And it, it I think it's, it's becoming more and more difficult because I do think a lot of Christians aren't bothering to um, look up the the ways that science does not actually disprove God in any way and, and being comfortable with that. I think sometimes we're intimidated by science and so we just avoid it altogether as opposed to being comfortable with the fact that science finding out things about the universe does not in any way, shape or form disprove God. But we seem to avoid those conversations and sometimes it kind of makes us look a little antiquated. Yeah, I think most Christians don't feel intellectually prepared or capable of countering some of the uh, arguments of the world or some of the uh, uh, false science. Uh, I, I think we ought to welcome science, because if we really believe the Bible is true, the more scientists discover the truth, the more it will verify God's Word. I can't remember who it was, that old quote about the scientist scaled the mountain of knowledge and got to the peak, and there was the theologian sitting there waiting for him. <laughs> and I think that that kind of ought to be our attitude. Yeah. But uh, sometimes uh, those who know more in a particular field have uh, a very condescending attitude toward people who believe the basics of the Bible, and we're not equipped to counter it, and so we... We avoid those subjects altogether. I did a blog last week uh, about uh, when I was recovering from the coronavirus, I watched a, a documentary about Stonehenge, and they were speculating about how 1,600 years before Christ, they managed to get these 25-ton rocks into place and put them on top of each other in a circle, and uh, they went on and on about, you know, was this the evidence of superior knowledge, uh, aliens visiting from outer space, or how do these guys know about astronomy? But I found it interesting that nobody, but nobody, uh, suggested this is an accident. Right. You know, they, they didn't uh, say, well, there must have been a, a buildup of natural gas underneath the, uh, the surface, a subterranean gas that exploded, and out of that Big Bang came <laughs> this Stonehenge. They, they knew that we instinctively know the difference between deliberate design and random results. Right. But the universe is so much more complex. How can we look at the universe, or the human body, and say, well, that's just a random result? Yeah. And I, th I think we need to equip Christians, especially young people, with some little basic uh, examples like that so they, they feel like they, they don't have to be intimidated. I, I agree. Um, and in fact, for anybody who's listening right now, and I, I'll just be... 100% honest and blunt with you. You know, my father, pastor, missionary, my dad taught me, you know, he dropped me off at college and he was like, now it's time for you to go out in the world and find out if everything I taught you was true. And he encouraged me to question it. And I did. And there were actually absolutely times in my life, sometimes not in the near distant past, where I had somewhat like minor crises of faith revolving around the issue of, of the universe and its creation and the bigness and all that stuff. And I'll tell you, one of the things that really impacted me, two things, and I would recommend any Christian that is dealing with any sort of quiet crisis of faith about things like evolution and things about the creation of the university universe, first of all, start with reading C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity. Start with that, because that's like a philosophical foundation that separates religion from a relationship with God and explains how all that. And the second thing is to watch the Biola University debate between William Lane Craig and Christopher Hitchens. Obviously, Hitchens is a very oh, famous yeah. atheist. I don't know if you've seen that or not. It's a two-and-a-half-hour debate. It's enthralling, the entire two-and-a-half minutes. It's not boring. And William Lane Craig did such a fantastic job. I'm telling you, um, there were times when Christopher Hitchens was just stuck repeating things that he had already repeated that had already been essentially philosophically disproved. So mm -hmm. if, if anybody wants to Google it, just, does God exist... Biola University, and it'll come up on YouTube. 
but that was that was something that really helped me. I think it's commendable that your dad challenged you to study and learn on your own. However, uh, Leland, to be perfectly honest, you you have a keener mind than most, and you can absorb some of those things. And there are people with average intellect who believe in Jesus Christ who who, who can't grasp all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we we need to challenge the intellectual Christians to read C.S. Lewis and, and watch that debate, but we also need to reinforce some of these people who are, are not going to do that, are not capable of grasping that. Right, right. Um, the reason I wanted to have you on today um, was really to talk about the situation you sort of alluded to earlier, and that's the crisis in our in our in our government, the crisis in our country, the crisis in our society. And this has been a year of apocalyptic events, um, you know, from murder hornets to chainsaw bears to COVID nineteen um, asteroids coming close to the Earth. The government saying they have UFOs, um, political unrest. There is an enormous amount of stuff just happening out there, and it's the kind of stuff that rips society apart. Um, how do we how do we deal with this? Because the last time you were on, we were talking about churches, you know, in a situation where they were being asked not to meet, and you warned of the danger of losing that part of our communities. And I think in some ways we're starting to see that now, as people cannot um, connect physically and emotionally, uh, and that goes for church as well, uh, sort of uh, things are allowed to run rampant. What does a Christian do in a society that's falling apart like this? Well, I I think what's happening is one of two things. Either God is allowing us to go through uh, turmoil to warn us that we've turned our back on Him and pleading with us to turn back to Him, or we are living in the final days and the return of Jesus Christ is very near. Uh, I, I kind of think both. I, I think the Lord is using these things to alert us. People are certainly at least receptive to hear spiritual truth. But I think we're, we're nearing the time when Jesus Christ is going to return. And it's a reminder. It should be a reminder to Christian people, don't put your hope in this world. It is temporary. Uh, every, just about everything we put our hopes in have been taken from us. And we need to put our all in hope in, in Jesus Christ and his promise. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and I'll come back and receive you to myself. You know, the, the, in Hebrews 11, the heroes of the faith, Moses and Abraham both in particular, are, are, are said that they went through tough times because they were looking for a better city. They, were, they had their hopes in, in eternity and not this world. And uh, if we can get our ultimate hope uh, away from this world and into uh, onto Jesus Christ, and the best is yet to be, we can go through these problems w- without being devastated by them and still have a spirit of hope and joy. How do we be the peacemaker? I, I struggle with this. I'm Irish. I have strong opinions. Anybody who knows me knows <laughs> that I have strong opinions. And yet there's been times when, you know, I've walked away from something I've said and I've had a check in my spirit. Like maybe it, maybe I went a little too far. Maybe maybe I was less than helpful. I got my point across. I won the argument. I won the debate. But I was maybe less than helpful in the whole. Um, yeah. How do we hold ourselves accountable to that and to be the peacemaker, to step in when people are tearing statues down and there's there's violence and there's anger and both sides are are foaming at the mouth and and this this is and and it's almost as though I feel like at times when I step out into society I almost feel as though the people their people are demanding that you take a side you you're on our side or you're on their side and yet that's not what the Christians were called we were called to take a side but it was one side that had nothing to do with politics nothing to do with government and that side sometimes doesn't mesh with either of the political dichotomy so how does one, from a pastor's perspective, navigate that? Yeah, I have acquaintances who absolutely despise Donald Trump. They hate him. And they measure uh, your loyalty and your 
perception by whether or not your degree of hatred for Donald Trump <laughs> matches theirs. Right, right. And if, if you take even uh, a stance in favor of charter schools or something, that's right. the same side Donald Trump is on, and, and you're right. the enemy. Yeah. And I mean, they're ready to, to fight. One of my favorite, one of my favorite descriptions of Jesus is in uh, the, the Gospel of John, where it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth, that he was 100% full of grace, and he was 100% full of truth. And that is the balance that I really struggle with, because you're asking the question of a guy who I lean more toward truth. i got I got to be honest with you. And when, when people uh, perpetuate lies or half-truths, I'm, I'm ready to, and I'm a competitor, I'm ready to come, come at them with uh, both barrels. But I'm trying to remember in my old age to be full of grace and truth. The Bible says we're to speak the truth in love. That is a hard thing to do. Uh, so many pastors and church leaders now are leaning toward being tolerant and, and uh, loving, but not saying anything about truth. Mm-hmm. And, and then there are others who are uh, ready to fight and bicker about truth without remembering grace. Right. And that is uh, really a hard balance to maintain. I had a guy, this doesn't have to do with politics, but it has to do with this the very principle. A guy in the church who was a big encourager to me, he has since died, but I, I love John Foster. And he would always encourage me. But one day, I said something in the pulpit that he thought was inappropriate. It was toward the end of my ministry, too. And, and I, I talked about a couple shacking up. <laughs> And in my <laughs> culture, shacking up is okay. You know, it's just a common term. In his culture, he's 10, 15 years. That was a vulgar term. Right. So he came to me, and in love, he said, Bob, that phrase you used last Sunday, shacking up, that didn't sound like a Bob Russell phrase. Huh. Isn't that great? Yeah. He, he, he didn't say, you know, way to I say was, it. I was... Yeah. I, I was so offended by that. I've talked to a lot of people, and they're upset. I can't believe you used that. He didn't get mad. He just very tenderly uh, corrected me. And I told him, I'm not going to use that phrase again when you're in the audience. (laughs) 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 But that's the balance of grace and truth is my point. And if I can somehow be tolerant of somebody who's angry and coming at me, if I can respond with the truth in love, then maybe they'll listen. Right. Uh, otherwise, we're just shouting at each other. But I have to work hard to to wait and listen, and and then say, okay, here here's what I believe from the scripture. Here's what I believe uh, Jesus would do. I think it's easy for um, today's world. I think you can be gracious and still have that mistaken for <laughs> something attacking because truth itself is being undermined. Um, and objective truth is being undermined, and there's ways that that's being categorized. But to your point, I think also a lot of what one of the things that I found most interesting about Jesus' life was that people often made assumptions about what he was going to think. They said, you know, they they made us like for instance, my one of my favorite stories is the the woman at the well, and the so-called leaders of the community had their assumptions about what she had done. And really, there are assumptions about how Jesus should react to that. And he reacted almost the opposite, but yet he maintained the truth when he said, now go and send no more. But I mean, you understand what I'm saying? It's like the, the, the point was that when the world expected him to reject something or somebody because of maybe their actions, he accepted them and loved them, asked them to change their, their ways, and they did. But there were assumptions made, and those assumptions were always made by religion as opposed to people who knew him. You know what I mean? And I think that Mm -hmm. Christians could take that lesson today. If you make assumptions about each other based on religious ideas about how people ought to be and what we ought to think about them, you're probably misunderstanding Jesus' message. Yeah, the more you read about Jesus, the more you realize, i got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because your example, the woman caught in adultery— he, he he didn't condemn her, but he also had her confront her sin. Mm-hmm. Don't go sin anymore. Or the woman at the well. He he he, uh, he said, now, go get your husband. Well, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. He didn't just, 
endorse her behavior, right, right. but he welcomed her evangelism when she brought all these people back. Right. And that's the balance that I think we have to work with. But we also have to understand, I think, Leland, that Jesus said, uh, whoever's on, told Pilate, whoever's on the side of truth listens to me. Right. Truth is important. And if we speak the truth in love, we're still going to be hated. We're yes. still going to be attacked. Uh, Jesus said, uh, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. That He said, uh, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And so no matter how loving we may try to be, if we speak the truth about man's sins and, and the need for repentance and the truth of God and our accountability to him, uh, we're still going to be opposed vehemently by uh, a number of people. Why did you become a Christian? Well, everybody answers that question in different ways. I became a Christian, very frankly, because I grew up in a wonderful Christian home. Uh, my dad was not a preacher, but he he had grown up in a very dysfunctional family. Uh, he was a 17 to 18 kids and just grew up rough. But he met my mother, became a Christian. I mean, he never looked back. He worked in a foundry to scrape to, uh, to get by with six kids, but one-tenth of every paycheck goes to the church, and Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It would have been unnatural for me not to become a Christian because it was lived out so uh, well in my presence by my parents. And so when I was eight years old, I made a decision. Uh, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus Christ. I went forward in church and made a confession, was baptized. Uh, I admire those people who come from rough backgrounds and still make personal decisions and turn their lives around. Uh, the Bible says, to whomsoever much is given, much is required. And I've been given a lot in my Christian heritage. And uh, I, I, I became a Christian because my parents were Christian. But there came those times, uh, like you mentioned, where I've got to decide, is this my parents' faith or is this my faith? And uh, it, it slowly along the way uh, became my own. And I, I have been so blessed. But my, kind of my theme verse is that one in in First Corinthians uh, where it says, or in Ephesians, where it says, God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And he's done more in my life than I could have ever dreamed. How did you know it was your faith and not your parents? Well, I think whenever uh, you get tested, and uh, tested by temptation, and you fall, and you feel guilty, and you say, boy, did I really become a Christian? Or have, and, and you have to look back and understand grace. Or the times in my life where I was tested with uh, near-death experiences, and uh, I had asked, do I believe what I say I believe, the death of a loved one? Or uh, I was in India on a mission trip and wound up in an Indian hospital and and uh, I've had some other experiences that that really uh, confronted me with death face to face. Even in this latest battle with coronavirus, I'm 77 years old. I'm in a vulnerable state, and I get uh, I get COVID-19. I go to bed at night, and I'm feeling rotten. And uh, I, I got to say, is is this my faith or my parents' faith? And every time, Leland. Uh, I asked that question. I have a piece that passes understanding about that. Did you get COVID? I did about six weeks ago. Really? How'd that and, affect uh -huh. you? Well, I, I was very nauseous. I had a low-grade fever. I had all, the, all about all the symptoms. I could barely eat. And I, I struggled for a week and a half. And, uh, <laughs> my, you know those little oximeters that you put on yeah. your finger? Yeah. And my doctor says, look, if you ever put that oximeter on and that thing ever gets below 90, you go straight to the hospital, emergency room, because right. that's what COVID does. It affects your, your oxygen level, gets in your lungs. Well, one night I was feeling particularly bad, and I had a temperature of 102, and I put the oximeter on and said, 87. Uh -oh. I said, oh, man, I've got to go to the hospital. I started <laughs> toward the car. <laughs> I said to myself, I said, what am I doing? I'm going to go to the emergency room, and they're going to sit there and observe me for three hours. Right. 
And I'm 77 years old. If I die tonight, that's okay. I'm ready to go. I'm going to bed. <laughs> I went back in and went to bed. And next morning, felt a whole lot better. I'm not saying everybody should do that. Right, right, right. But but I have to say, I, I have this inner peace about how good God has been to me and seeing the evidence in my life. Uh, and that's another thing that made made me a strong believer in even with my parents' faith. I saw the power of the Bible and uh, how it. As I preached it, it transformed lives, and uh, people responded to it. The, the, I'm not ashamed, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation to everybody who believes. The When you talked about your dad, it reminded me of mine. My dad came from a rough family. Um, he broke a lot of cycles, a lot of generational cycles. Ran away from home when he was 12. Um, was on a very bad path until he met my mom, who essentially drug him to church. Hmm. And he likes to tell the story about how he quit smoking. He was po- he says he he says he smoked five packs a day. And the night that he gave his life to the Lord, he went down to the altar and he left his pack. He had it rolled up. He was I've seen pictures of him. He looked like James Dean back then. T shirt. <laughs> he was yeah. rough, man. He had the leather jacket and the ducktail haircut and the you know the 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 t-shirt with the sleeves rolled up so his cigarettes could fit in it and he took it out and he laid it on the altar and he left it there and he hasn't ever smoked since wow and that was at i think the age of about maybe 21 and how did he become a preacher um essentially he had he he was in the air force and when my mom my mom and him got married um and then he was trying to decide he was thinking about being a career air force guy because he actually had worked his way into the uh, broken Arrow crew. He had top secret clearance. He was doing some kind of interesting things. But then along came my first sister, and um, they they decided that they were going to get out of the Air Force. And my dad, I guess it was a what he tells the story is that he was at a church service when he was trying to make this decision, and um, he felt uh, he felt the Lord calling him into the ministry. And he sort of changed, made an about face, and went to Asbury College. But there's a story about my grandmother, and this is like this is kind of an interesting thing about how God speaks to people. And my 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 memo was probably the most godly woman I've ever known in my life, um, and she just had this way about her. And I my my grandparents or my mom told this story. She said that when my mom and dad graduated, my dad had already walked across the stage, and one of my aunts was sitting with my memo and papa. And my memo saw my dad walk across the stage. My mom and dad never dated in high school. Okay, they knew each other, but they never dated. And my memo said that there goes Carol Lee's future husband. Wow! And no then she, and then she said he's going to be a preacher. Oh wow! And this was a troubled kid at the time because it was he was you know high school, and so then it was a couple more years before they ever got together. But he was, was just wired that way, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was I think he had a fork in the road. I think. For him, it was going to be a life of very bad things, or he was going to go that other direction. And he went that other direction. And when you described your dad, that's the way my dad was. Our household Mm -hmm. was always almost exactly as you described. And, of course, I've got two sisters that are ministers now, and, um, you know, there's four of us, and, and, and all of us are Christians. But I'm just fascinated sometimes because, like, for me, growing up on the mission field, I faced a lot of outside influences that maybe a normal person growing up in a steady Christian home wouldn't. Right. And yeah. I I feel like that was a that was a blessing looking back on it because it did force me to be more rigorous with my my faith and I am a curious and questioning person. I'm one of those people that if you just tell me what to do, I'm going to do the opposite. If you tell me <laughs> what to do and why, I'll run through a wall for you, right? Uh, and uh, so it's kind of like that. And I guess that's what my dad knew about me when he sent me to, to college. He just knew that if I tell him to do this, he'll do the opposite. But if I tell him to go figure this out, he'll come back home. And I think he just knew that about me. So well, There are a lot of similarities because my dad broke the cycle. Do I have time to tell you mm-hmm. my favorite story about my dad? Oh, absolutely. Would love to hear it. Uh, I told you that he became a Christian. and my, When I was in the seventh grade, my parents helped to start a new church because we were traveling a long way to church. And so we started with about 40 people meeting in a house. But my dad loved this church. He's the first one there, last one to leave. But one of our early preachers skipped town, leaving a lot of unpaid bills. Hmm. 
And my dad was so concerned that our church was going to have a bad reputation in our little community because the preacher had not paid his bills. So my dad went to the bank. Keep in mind, he's a blue-collar worker. He went to the bank. He borrowed $2,500 on his own money in the late 50s on his own name. It's a lot of money, then. And paid off all the preacher's bills. And then he took a second job working in a sawmill to pay it back. Wow. And I always say, if you got a dad like that, <laughs> you're going straight into ministry whether you want to go or not. <laughs> so right. I became a preacher like you. I've got a brother who's a preacher. I've got two sisters married to preachers. I do have one sister who's a black sheep. She married a deacon. <laughs> <laughs> you got people in your family you're a little saint, don't they? Right. But, I mean, our parents setting that example, uh, this stays with us all of our lives. And I'm so yeah. blessed to have had that kind of home. Yeah, I, I, and I want—that's one of the things that concerns me, and I don't want to make this political at all, but one of the things that concerns me is that part of, I think, the up, social upheaval that we're having right now is directly centered around the attempt by the powers that be to undermine the idea of family. And, you know, I, I grew up in a home that was not broken, um, and my parents were married for—gosh, um, it was 50 years, um, you know, before my mother passed away— and I never, I never saw a crossword between my mom and dad. Um, I never saw them contradict each other in the home. My, Boy, there's a lot of similarities between your own and mine. Yeah, it, it. But but there was a there was a real deep reliance on each other, and I saw that. And so, modeling marriage for me and my sisters, you know, modeling work. You mentioned your dad. You know, feeling like this is what has to be doing done to do what's right. Um, yeah, I can remember one time when I was twelve, my dad came home and took me out of school and he said we're going to work and he could do that because my mom was the principal of the school but <laughs> but he took me to the the work site and they had a job that needed to be finished by a, a midnight deadline for a contract and his guys had been lazing around and not doing anything and he was having trouble motivating them so he lined them all up and he stood me next to him and he said guys I want you all to go home I'll never forget this he said you guys go home my 12-year-old son and I are going to do what you couldn't do in three days. We're going to do it in eight wow. hours. And he sent them all home, and then him and I worked, and at 11.55, we finished laying the last piece of time. Well, oh, man, what that does for your confidence and your relationship with your dad. Yeah, what it's amazing. And what's interesting is those guys all came back the next week, and they never had a problem again. They stopped being uh-huh. – it was like an example that he, he embarrassed them, but he was like <laughs> – but that yeah, is a great story. Yeah, I, I love that. But I, I feel for people who don't have those kinds of examples in their life because I see how easy it is if you don't have that to just do whatever you want to do. You know what I mean? And you're angry and you go through life rebelling against authority. And, and this this is one of the reasons I'm so opposed to socialism mm-hmm. because – uh, you know, it, it, socialism believes that the children belong to the state, and basically, and the the, the state can override the family. Mm-hmm. And the, the Bible teaches that children belong to to parents, and uh, marriage is a holy covenant. And those are those are two diametrically opposed philosophies. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with that. I was we were watching. Um, my wife and I have a favorite show right now. It's called Yellowstone. It's on, um, we buy it on Apple TV. It's uh, written by Taylor Sheridan. It's a very powerful, deep, dark story. It's a dark story. Um, but there's a Native American guy talking to his daughter, and his daughter has left her husband after an accident and made her think differently about him and taken her son. And he said, um, she was about to move away, and he said to her, he said, remember, the decisions that you make now affect you forever you're married not in some government office but in a ceremony and he mm. said you will be married in the afterlife no matter what you do in this life and i, I just thought I, I thought that was really deep and powerful because it was like he was yeah. explaining to her the consequences of her decision for both her and her son and also Big decision. yeah yeah but saying look this what you did was done before he was in his own way saying it was done before god not before man um, which made it a whole different level of stakes, you know. Yeah, reminds me of the story of the preacher who came home and his wife was on the phone to their newly married daughter, and he said, "What's wrong?" And she put her hand over the phone and said, "She's having marriage problems and she wants to come home." And the preacher said, "Tell her she is home." 
Wow. <laughs> you know, and if you've got a strong dad who stands for truth, hopefully in love, right. it, it, it gives you a certain fortitude yeah. through problems that you're not going to have if you didn't have that example. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I guess you could say somewhat idolized my father. I mean, he, he was, he, he is that kind of guy. You know, I've seen him do everything from cradle a drunk man in his lap who had fallen into a cactus patch with blood pouring down his face, you know, mm. showing that sort of tender love, picking the cactus thorns out of his face, um, to standing up for me when somebody was, you know, attacking or bullying me. And, and I've you knew that. he was on your side. Yeah, I always known that he's on my side regardless. And I've done some stupid things that he's disagreed with. But it's like he always is like, well, you know, <laughs> it, it's he's always there for you. Um, do you think Christians should prepare for a new era where we no longer live in a nation that is blessed by God specifically? Well, that's a tough question. My gut says yes. Mm. I'm really praying the opposite. Yeah. I'm praying that there's a spiritual revival. You know, if God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah for 10 righteous people, maybe he'll spare America and and uh, we'll retain the freedoms and and the prosperity that we've known, but I don't, uh, I don't see any signs of that. Right. And I, I really am concerned that we're going to be living in a post. We're already, in a sense, living in a post-Christian era, but the consequences of that in the coming years are going to be a loss of uh, a lot of the blessings that you and I have known in our lifetime. And I, I, I fear for my grandchildren in particular, mm-hmm. and I think we're going to, we're going to need to train them to be able to withstand persecution and to be able to retain their faith in a world that's pretty hostile toward Christianity. The, the Bible speaks that, as you mentioned earlier, that, you know, we might be living in the actual end times. Um, the Bible does talk about an outpouring of the spirit prior to that. But it also talks about a great pairing um, where those that are fake Christians or tacit Christians or lukewarm will be peeled away from the body of Christ because they won't be able to handle the fire that's going to be, um, you know, exercised against the church in a way. Matthew 24, verse 12, Jesus said uh, in the last days, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. Mm. Some translations say the love of most will grow cold. And I think that's uh, where we're moving right now. The, the millennials are, are most rapidly turning away from faith, and uh, I, I think there's a great falling away. I, I disagree with those who read the, the Bible to say there's going to be a great pouring out of the Spirit in the last days. We get that from Acts 2, where uh, Simon Peter was preaching about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Hmm. And he says, as Joel said, in the last days there would be a great pouring out of the Spirit. And this is that occurring right now, which he prophesied. And there's a sense in which uh, the last days in Scripture refers to the entire period between the first coming of Christ and the second coming, that we are in the last days. Okay. And I think that prophecy about the pouring out of the Spirit in the last days was fulfilled at Pentecost. Now, a lot of my Christian friends and preachers disagree with me, but I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope there's a great outpouring well, of the Holy Spirit. I've, the but I've heard, the, I've heard it stated the way you said before. I can't remember what book I was reading the other day, but um, it, is, it, it simply said essentially said the same thing, that 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 we sometimes we try to stamp our timeline on the last days you know and if you try to mm-hmm. if you try to read revelation and figure out what's going to happen <laughs> it's like good luck man um you know but but i think um so we put our own stamp on it and when in fact if you look at the the biblical story there was pre-christ there was a middle dark period and then there was um you know post-christ or you know, with Christ or whatever, you know what I mean? Post his life on earth. Mm-hmm. And that, that might actually be the final day, so to speak. We don't know how long that's going to last. Um, well, so- I, I, 
So yeah, no, I was just going to say. So you might you might be right. I mean, I'm not a theologian, but you might be right. Maybe because because you're right about where that scripture is found, and that it was within the context of the outpouring of Pentecost. So I, I think you're right about Revelation. I mean, I've studied and read Revelation, and I don't understand it. And I read commentaries, and I conclude these guys don't know what they're talking about either. Yeah. But I've concluded that Revelation is describing from chapter 4 on what is going to happen to the world and the judgments that are going to befall the world after Christians are taken out of the world in a rapture. And there are different views of eschatology. I'm of the inclination, I'm not dogmatic about it, but I'm of the inclination the next thing's going to happen is Christians are going to be taken out of the world and all the, the Christian influence is going to be gone. Okay, let's get real weird here. All right, you ready? I'm going to get real weird here. So, um, I'm fascinated with UFOs. Never seen one. Grew up in uh, Arizona. I now live in Colorado where uh, there's an enormous number of UFO sightings. Of course, I live right next to Cheyenne Mountain, which is NORAD. So, there's all kinds of crazy things flying in and out of here. And Space Force is going to be located here. So, that's cool. Um, But I don't necessarily believe it's aliens. You know, like it's space aliens. I'm open-minded. Whatever. God could have created who knows how many. But... Really, there's a, there's actually a faction of people that believe that some of these kinds of sightings are actually demonic. And wouldn't it be an interesting thing? I'm just going to – I'm spitballing this. But wouldn't it be an interesting thing now that the government has come out and said, yeah, we have videos of things we can't explain. If suddenly the rapture were to occur, they're going to have to have an explanation for why one billion Christians just up and left the planet. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean – I'm getting weird here, but why can't we have a little fun with the conversation? Great minds. I speculate <laughs> about the same thing. I, I think I, I don't believe that there are aliens in outer space. I mean, it wouldn't destroy my faith if I learned that there was life no. from a, in, on another planet. But if you, if you had the ability to fly uh, all the way from another planet, I think the first thing you'd do would be to land and communicate, hey, we come in peace. I right. don't know that be out there in outer space scared my favorite out of my everybody. favorite 2020 meme is aliens fly past the earth and roll their windows up and lock the doors <laughs> <laughs> i haven't heard that one that's good that's good but i i believe in angels mm-hmm. and i also think that maybe government experiments they've got a pretty advanced aircraft maybe they're experimenting with something but i have thought about the very thing that you mentioned <laughs> they're going to have to have some explanation if christians disappear and there's all this talk about aliens and and uh, people from outer space and being caught up and it, 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 maybe there is a, a demonic uh, activity that is increased to try to perpetuate that lie that uh, aliens from outer space have come and taken a lot of people out of the world. Well, I mean, if <laughs> yeah. if we, it's funny, but I mean, if we're getting you're right, we're getting weird, but right, I, I yeah. mean, at least we're we're speculating and we're laughing spe- about speculating it. Speculating and laughing, it's a fun it's a fun conversation. Um, in, in, in terms of one more on the, the negative thing on like, if, if we are having to prepare for a time when maybe God's, you know, overt blessing is not on our nation anymore, his blessing will never leave his people. Um, but it may, you know, I think God was able, people have asked, why do you think God, uh, why do you think America is a Christian nation? Well, I think, I don't know that it's per se a Christian nation other than I think that Providence was involved in its founding because freedom, liberty, has allowed. I was listening to a piece yesterday about how America has given more in philanthropy than any other nation in the history of the world. That philanthropy has oftentimes been uh, couched together with mission work that has been spreading the gospel, and we're kind of reaching that point where, you know, almost everybody has at least had an opportunity to be touched by the church. And so, if we're going into a stage now where things start to get tumultuous, and maybe that overt blessing then leaves our country. What should Christians do to prepare for a time like that? You mentioned persecution, which is already beginning to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big things that the Supreme Court nomination is is Amy Coney Barrett as a Catholic. And right now, uh, folks on the other side are having to tiptoe around the idea of, of attacking her religion because, well, the Democratic nominee is also a professing Catholic, and so is the Speaker of the House. So that makes that a little uncomfortable for them. But th- you can see the animosity, though. And the fear they have towards somebody who is a professing person of faith being on the Supreme Court. Um, what should we prepare for beyond persecution? What should we be preparing monetarily? Should we be getting out of debt? 
should we be what what should we be doing yeah i i think first of all parents have, have got to school their children with a willingness to be distinctive that mm. we are a peculiar people that is possible you know the amish i don't agree with the amish but they they train their kids that you you've got to be in the world but not of the world right and and i i think parents need to train their kids in in uh, a willingness to be what the Bible calls a peculiar people that we're we're distinctive, but I, I think the church needs to somehow drill uh, our, our kids with a, a Christian worldview mm-hmm. and get out of the entertainment business and into the teaching business and and uh, really uh, have some in depth training for kids about why we believe what we believe so that when they go off to college they can uh, withstand the the modern critical theory that's going to be proposed in the classroom and the peer pressure at the parties that they're going to face because we're losing so many of our kids mm-hmm. uh, within three months of going off the university. Yeah. But I also think you mentioned a really good thing. We need to get out of debt so that we're not beholden to anybody and we, we're not strapped with debt should uh, harder times come. We're so used to being able to borrow and pay back and uh, so that we're not enslaved uh, to the world, we, we need to make an effort to, to, to get out of debt. And, uh, be, and I, I think the churches need, need to focus on discipleship more than they have in the past. Well, and I think Christians are always called upon to be in positions where they can help people. And there's going to be a lot. It's, there's a lot of broken people now. There's going to be a lot more broken people. That's a great point too. And if we're I'm not a, a big one about storing up and and uh, being a uh, what's the word for the, prepper. What's that? You're not prepping for aliens to come and take yeah, away. I'm, I'm not. Okay. I'm not a big prepper. You don't have a I bunker. Think we ought to be preparing for the coming of Jesus. <laughs> but there, there's there's an element of trust here. Yeah. That. Uh, uh, I, I don't think we ought to hunker down and and stockpile weapons and and two years worth of food and all those kinds of things. I, I think when Jesus said, "Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and don't worry about tomorrow; it'll be sufficient under the day thereof." That, that we ought to put uh, put our trust in Christ, but we've got a responsibility to train our kids and and to the disciple and pastors to disciple the sheep in the fold. Yeah. All right, before I let you go, I got to know what's your best preacher joke. <laughs> oh, All right, I'll give you time. I, uh, to, I'll give you time to think about it, and I'll tell you mine while you're thinking about yours. Okay. Okay, you tell me yours. All right. So there was a Baptist, a Nazarene, and a Methodist, and they all went fishing together. And they were out in the water, and the the Methodist said, "Hey, I forgot my bait." So he gets up out of the boat, walks across the water, goes to his truck, gets the bait, walks back across the water, gets back in the boat. The Baptist is like, what the heck just happened there? The Nazarene's sitting there about an hour later and says, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get my lunch. He gets out of the boat, walks across the water, goes to the truck, gets his lunch, walks back across the water, gets back in the boat. And the Baptist is like, I cannot be shown up by a Methodist and a Nazarene. So the Baptist gets out of the boat and he sinks. Climbs back up in the boat, says, on it. Their faith cannot be better than mine. Gets out of the boat, sinks. Gets back up in the boat one more time, sinks. While he's down under there the third time, the Methodist looks at the Nazarene and says, you reckon we ought to show him where the rocks are? <laughs> so cheesy. It wasn't so miraculous after all. <laughs> Sorry. That's my cheesy preacher joke. I guess my joke. favorite preacher joke is one I've told a lot of places because I I preached at a mega church and I, when I get up I've got to overcome the image of a mega church pastor, so I I tell about the the woman who called uh, or, or the guy who called the church secretary and said I'd like to speak to the head hog at the trough. <laughs> she said, "Pardon me," said I'd like to speak to the head hog at the trough, and the secretary's offended says, "Sir, if you want to speak to our pastor you can call him reverend you can call him doctor but not head hog of the trough and the farmer said well i guess i'll forget it then i just sold a bunch of hogs and i was going to make a ten thousand dollar donation to the building fund and she said wait a minute i think the big pig just walked in (laughs) (laughs) that's awful it's terrible i love it (laughs) 
<laughs> awesome. Well, Bob Russell, it's a pleasure to talk with you. I appreciate your faith. I appreciate your guidance in the community. And uh, we thank you for taking some time uh, to be with us today. We always enjoy the conversations. Well, Leland, I enjoy you. And I think one thing that we can demonstrate, the Bible says, be joyful in all circumstances. Yes. And these are tough times. But because of our hope in Christ, we can still laugh and we can be joyful. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% believe in that. Because you know what? Joy catches faster than COVID. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Have a great one. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Uh All right. Uh, That is Bob Russell. He was the pastor for a long time at Southeast Christian Church and really built that church into uh, the big church that it is today. I think it's like the, uh, it's in the top 10 largest churches in the country. It's pretty big. Um, But my wife and I, when we, we're living in Louisville. We attended Southeast, and uh, we attended the uh, Crestwood location and loved the local pastor there, loved uh, Dave Stone, loved um, uh, all of the folks associated with that church, and, and I really felt like they were grounded uh, in the gospel, and it was pretty cool. So, and But love Bob Russell. He's such a good guy. Look, I realize a lot of people that listen to this may not be as— um, he may not necessarily believe what I believe in terms of— my faith in Christianity, but uh, that's this isn't intended to, uh, you know, uh, be in any way other than just, hey, this is us talking about it and talking about what our thoughts are and our prayers are. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, big thanks to our sponsor. Um, uh, we have so excited to bring them on board because I love this organization, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. You can go to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops and check out their work. They did our kitchen in Louisville. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, when we sold our house there, uh, it sold in less than a day. And I think it had a lot to do with the kitchen being so beautiful. And when we moved in, it was ugly for Micah countertops. It was a, a weird, awkward uh, island in the middle. And we wanted the island to be less awkward and more uh, flow with the kitchen. And they came in and customized that island for us and put beautiful countertops in. They were absolutely stunning. Actually, we went with um, uh, quartz instead of granite. Um, and it was it was really beautiful. And it's weird how many options you get with quartz now. It used to be quartz was like you get like a solid color. Not anymore. I a lot of people thought that ours were granite, right? Um, but it stood up to stains and things like that a lot better. It was easier to clean, uh, easier to maintenance. But it looked just like granite with flowing patterns and all kinds of stuff. It's really fascinating what they've been able to do. But uh, then they also did our uh, master bathroom for us. So th- whether you're putting your cabinets in yourself and you just want to get supplies from them or you want to do, you want somebody to come in and do like a, what you would call a turnkey kitchen remodel, that is you just say, here's what I want, work with their designers, and then they come in and just blast it out and give you a whole brand new kitchen like you would never believe. They can do that as well. So Check out LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com, and you can see a lot more uh, information about uh, about them. And also, they're located over at uh, 6200 Hit Lane uh, in Louisville. They're right on the Oldham County line, so if you're in southern uh, Indiana, uh, Louisville, or Oldham County, they got you covered. And the phone number is 502-930-3304, 502-930-3304. Thanks again to uh, our executive producer and co-executive producer he likes to think he's the top one (laughs) cameron mills uh thanks also to dynamics productions in lexington for their help with the audio on this program thanks to jp web design for all their help as well you can follow us on twitter it's at leland show uh and uh also at zone disruption you can also follow us on instagram at great lelando and at the disruption zone we are a free podcast our sponsors help make that happen uh so we can keep it free And you can download it at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app. Thanks for listening. I'm Leland Conway, The Disruption Zone.